Welcome to Alternative Fund Insight, exploring the trends and meeting the personalities driving hedge funds and private markets. My name is Will Wainwright and this week I'm exploring hedge fund activism, which has started the year on form and in the headlines, with Maya Keaton, Canada M&A and Funds Correspondent at Thomson Reuters. Since starting our podcast last summer, AFI has interviewed some of the leading names in alternatives. The next phase of AFI will make it a sustainable and long-term fixture at the heart of the industry. AFI is introducing paid membership for our premium analysis and interviews. In addition, we have used our industry experience to build a suite of research and business intelligence tools, which allow subscribers to track people moves and new launch activity on a daily basis. Our most read pieces last week included an exclusive interview with Wall Street legend and short-selling specialist Jim Chanos and analysis of the convertible arbitrage opportunity. Please head to alternativefundinsight.com slash membership for more information and to read the activism analysis piece accompanying this interview. Now sit back and enjoy today's episode. Maya, thank you for joining me on AFI today to discuss activism and the outlook in 2023. Let's start with Canada. In terms of the hedge fund activism scene there, is there much activity? And it sounds like there could be changes on the regulatory front that could improve the opportunity set. Hey, Will, uh, thanks for having me. Um, That's right. Historically, there hasn't been that much activism in Canada because it is a much smaller market and obviously there's more opportunity in the US. Over the pandemic, there were activists who were interested in Canadian companies, but obviously there was a lot of headline risk to them being involved or launching any activist campaigns in Canada. Then we saw, sorry. Just to pick up on that. So it sounds like they were worried about the kind of headline risk, you know, the fact that there's a pandemic going on around, they didn't want to, to, uh, to be seen as necessarily, you know, capitalizing on that. Yeah, exactly. That's right. And that's obviously something that was probably global and not just in Canada. Then globally, we obviously saw stocks, um, companies do really well. We saw M&A kick off and we saw this recovery from the pandemic that no one really anticipated. So then companies were doing really well and, and essentially activists weren't really needed to the same extent. Stock prices would be quite elevated. So I guess there wouldn't have been the same opportunities to unlock that that value for, for shareholders. Exactly. Um, so then we obviously saw 2022, which turned into a bit of a different year. We saw M&A fall again, um, back to sort of pre-2020 levels, um, even lower. And we've seen and we saw stocks perform badly, a very volatile market. And that's when share, um, shareholder activists really started to look at companies again and, and see how they could add value. Mm. And now we're starting to see that rise in activism emerge. Um, and what we're hearing from lawyers and um, bankers and other service providers is that we are there is a big pipeline of activists who are looking at companies in Canada and that that's in the works now. Mm-hmm. And what is it that's specific about the the regulatory changes in Canada? 
So the Canadian market is actually really advantageous for activists in general. Um, there are a lot of rules in Canada that are really helpful for activists, such mm. as the ability to um, requisition special meetings. But what we're seeing, what we saw in August last year was a change to federal laws that allowed investors to vote for or against a director nominated to a company board. Mm-hmm. Previously, mm-hmm. they could vote for or withhold. So that essentially, they weren't voting against a director. So a much more, yeah, so a much more um, specific vote. Yeah, you're right. So firstly, be much clearer when you're launching a case against a director. And secondly, while there were some policies where uh, majority voting was adopted by companies, it wasn't enshrined in the law. So this was essentially enshrined in the law, which means if you do not get majority for a director, then they are not elected to the board or they are forced to resign. Mm-hmm. And that's the major change as well. Basically, although it kicked in August last year, the first proxy season is coming up. So this first proxy season, which is in the spring of this year, generally in the spring, will test that new law. Interesting. Okay, so that will prove quite pivotal about whether we do see a increase in activist success in Canada and whether that may encourage more um, more campaigns, etc. in the in the future, because it is surprising that we haven't had the same amounts. We haven't seen uh, the same level of activist campaigns in Canada compared to some other countries out there. Yeah, I was going to say the surprising thing is it looks like the, um, the success rate for activist demands in Canada can be lower than in the US and Europe. And I'm not really sure why that is. And market participants weren't really sure either. Because like I said, from a regulatory perspective, there are a lot of advantageous rules for shareholders. So it's nothing about the legal landscape that would prevent campaigns from being successful. And so this year started with uh, Elliott, which is probably the the leading player in terms of hedge fund activism. We've also had... Yeah, we also had Elliot at the back end of last year with Suncor Energy making changes, and that was ultimately successful. You have um, an activist campaign from Luxor Capital Group and Sandpiper Group, um, both in Canadian companies, and those are both ongoing. And those will actually both be tested in March. Interesting. Okay. Um, so we are we are seeing quite a lot of activity. And as you mentioned, you know, markets had a very very bad 2022 that does provide some quite good entry points for hedge funds on the long side the interesting thing is of course this year has started with the rally in january and that actually led to some quite good performance hedge fund research um had the hr hfri 500 activist index up 5.4 percent so the risk on sentiment in markets really helped um and if we see more of that this year then then that could that could be more beneficial still for for activists so what impact will the increase in MA we're, we're seeing and are expected to see have on activism levels this year market participants have told us that activists are going to take a really hard look at transactions and they're going to make a decision on on whether they think those transactions are beneficial or not to the company or the target. And when they make those decisions, they will, if they decide that that acquisition 
sale spin out is not a good idea, then there will be more activism in terms of pushing for companies to make changes either at the director level at uh, to, to halt those transactions or to look at buying something else entirely. And that's obviously the case that we're seeing with uh, Luxor Capital Group, where they're trying to push uh, Richie Bros auctioneers to halt their acquisition of IAA. Interesting. And let, let me ask you, um, in terms of, you know, the hedge fund activists I speak to, they kind of pride themselves on being the most informed investor. You know, they tend to know more about the industry, the, the company, the specifics than other shareholders. And then they use that information to convince and persuade other shareholders. Do you find the shareholder scene in Canada to be quite receptive to these activists when they, they make their case? So that's a really interesting one. Something that uh, lawyers and uh, bankers in the industry were telling me is that shareholders are becoming more and more receptive. And not only are they becoming more receptive when approached by activists, but they're more interested in doing a bit of activism themselves and Mm. being vocal about what they want companies to achieve. Interesting. And that's, you know, one, um, one expression of that is in ESG, I guess, Exactly. Lots of of different, uh, different, different ways in which shareholders are making cases that they just wouldn't have made 10 years ago. Yeah. And if you're looking at an energy company, they're obviously a prime candidate for ESG. And there's so many energy companies in Canada, right? In Canada, have you seen the same kind of pushback against ESG as we've had in the USA? You know, a lot of that is very, very political, obviously. Has there been the same uh, pushback in Canada? No, we haven't seen the same amount of pushback at all. In in fact, I'd say there's been no pushback. You know, turning to the other side of the world, you've got Japan, where interestingly, interestingly, we've seen a lot more activity in activist terms in the last few years. The regulators there seem quite receptive. So Elliot has made a big hire this year and Value Act has started a new fund. Do you think Canada could could emulate that in, in the years to come? It's interesting because I did uh, ask market participants whether we're seeing more homegrown activists, more activists from on Canadian soil and more offices in Canada from, you know, the American activists who are obviously the closest to us. Mm. And the answer was really no. It, it, it's it's, uh, it's a silly reason, but people said, you know, it's such, a, it's such a short flight from New York to Toronto. It's Canada so easily accessible from America. Most of the activists are very comfortable coming from America and uh, working in Canada. So I'm not sure that we're really going to see a huge rise in, in activist hedge funds in Canada itself. Mm. Um, but I do think we'll continue to see this pick up in interest in Canada overall. Yeah, yeah. And the sell-off last year was very concentrated in technology stocks. Are there any other sectors that are proving particularly interesting from an activist perspective? Yeah, absolutely. So tech, as you said, is a big one. Um, Obviously, we had a lot of IPOs that have since fallen. In energy, I think, obviously, we're talking about Canada specifically here. But uh, there are a lot of energy companies in Canada, obviously. And it's an area that has been under renewed interest uh, considering the war in Ukraine and concerns around energy security. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's an area where activists might look to look to different energy companies and, and see how they can improve some versus others. 
Um, that's an area. And then the other area is real estate, obviously. Um, if you saw the Sandpiper Group campaign, it was against the First Capital Real Estate Investment Trust mm -hmm. uh, REITs. And those investment, those real estate REITs are going to face a lot of activism. And according to market participants, the real estate market is still uh, still could potentially take another leg down. That's something activists would be interested in because not all real estate is equal. Not all real estate will face the same issues going forward. For example, mm -hmm. office may be treated differently than residential, which may be treated differently than uh, real estate that's focused on warehousing. And that's the perfect place for activists to step in and, and really separate out businesses or look at how those REITs can um, restructure to perform better. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. It's also interesting to note when we talk about activism that a lot of people think of short selling. People seem a lot more optimistic about the outlook for short selling this year. And we started with the activist short by Hindenburg Research and the impact that had on Adani, the Indian conglomerate. And with all the, the volatility in markets at the moment and the fact that rates are rising, companies are going to be under pressure. You know, this could be the time when after the big post-2008 bull markets, we do start to see companies stretched and opportunities for shorts opening up. I think that could be true. I guess I would just say that most of the market participants I spoke to or the active situations that they were seeing um, were long position situations mm. um, because there's so many stocks that have done poorly or there's so much dislocation that it's an opportunity to help companies do better. Yeah, that's yeah. what I would say. Just to wrap up, you know, you spent about a decade covering the hedge fund sector in London, and now you're in your home country of Canada. What is the hedge fund scene like in Canada? You know, in, in general, is there a big industry? Is Toronto the main hub? Um, so I would say, yeah, definitely a smaller, much smaller hub than London or New York. You do get hedge funds in Toronto. You can also get them in Calgary, specifically if they've got an energy focus. Uh, by the same token, there are some uh, mathematics-focused universities in Kitchener and Waterloo. And in those areas, you get some of the computer-driven hedge funds as well. Um, there are also a few out in uh, British Columbia, in Vancouver. So they're kind of all over, but it uh, definitely is a much smaller market. And I think part of the reason why, is, as I said, you see more of the American hedge funds coming up to Canada for opportunity. It's such a it's such a short flight if you're in New York. Yeah. To yeah. come to Toronto or Calgary. Great stuff. Well, Maya, thank you for joining me on AFI today. Great. Thanks, Will. Thanks for having me. Thank you to Maya. If you haven't already, please follow AFI on LinkedIn and sign up to our free newsletter. An essential read for anyone in hedge funds and private markets. That's it for now. Until next time on AFI.